Saturday morning cartoons were awesome. From the 1960s through the 1990s, we kicked off each weekend in a frenzy of animation that is unmatched today. But were these shows actually any good? Join us as we dig into the history of your favorite and not so favorite Saturday morning cartoons, look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of each one, and determine if our nostalgia matches the reality when it comes to these tunes. So stay in your PJs, grab a bowl of cereal, and settle in. I'm John. And I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. So John. Yeah. Do you have a favorite member of the Batman's Rogues Gallery that you really like or kind of drawn to? I always thought the Penguin was funny because of the 60s TV show that Burgess Meredith was hilarious as the Penguin. I loved it. Yeah, I was always partial to the Joker. I loved the Cesar Romero from that show. And then just some of the, the comics from the 70s, like the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams stuff is with the Joker is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, that actually, I will say um, in 1992, that changed. He no longer was my favorite because specifically of what we're going to talk about today, the Batman the Animated Series. Right. Um, after that aired and that started airing, I changed my tune and found somebody else that I became my favorite. And we're going to find out who. Yeah, there's a tease. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cue up tease. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we will definitely get to that. But uh, in cool. the meantime, let's dig into Batman the Animated Series, our yeah. first uh, foray into the 90s. Yeah. This is uh, after high school for me. Yeah, this show. This felt like uh, after everything, you know, digging through the 70s and 80s, getting yeah. into 1992 felt like, you know, modern history. Right. Refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so we don't have to go too far back in the Wayback Machine. We That's just, right. And we're not going to go back to the origins of Batman. For this, I think we need to go back just to 1989 when Batman kind of became a cultural phenomenon. He'd always been in the background, always been there. You had a TV show with Adam West, and it kind of, he was always there. Yeah. But 1989 kind of changed all of that. And I'm sure you remember it well. It was the summer of 1989. Tim Burton directed the Batman film starring yes. Michael Keaton yeah. and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And Batman was everywhere. And it was a huge summer blockbuster. It was. It was the... It was crazy. It was a cultural presence. Yeah. Well, they had... Prince, or the artist formerly known as Prince, did the Bat Dance song, and that went to number one. Yeah, you had, no matter where you looked, the marketing was crazy. There was, there was toys, there was fast food tied in. As you mentioned, there was Prince dancing around in like this weird Joker slash Batman costume on yeah. MTV all the time. It was, yeah. it, was, it was awesome. Yeah, you couldn't avoid it. It was, like I said, the biggest hit of the summer by far, and Batman was kind of ever-present. Yeah. So... Like I said, he's always kind of hanging around the cultural zeitgeist, but this put him front and center, and it was Batmania. Yeah, it literally. made it really was a kickoff to the resurgence of comic book movies mm -hmm. and and renewed interest in comic books mm -hmm. um, because this was a whole new audience for this. Right. Yeah. And, and in an oddly smart move by Warner Brothers, they saw something successful and decided to actually capitalize on it. Right. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Not something they had, uh, had done or even do now. Right. But uh, they they looked at it and said, let's, let's, let's run with this. And they started discussions about creating an animated series starring the Dark Knight. And the result of that would be our episode today, which is the most acclaimed superhero cartoon of one of the most acclaimed superhero cartoons of all time. It spawned an entire universe of cartoons that helped basically redefined DC Comics and DC superheroes for an entire generation of fans. Yeah, this was, this was a good move for them. Yes, absolutely. So this, following the, the success of the movie in 89, 1990, Warner Brothers wasn't really cranking out superhero cartoons. They had Batman, but they, he'd just been shelved for a long time. Yeah. And their big, their big cartoon at that time, their animation studio, was Tiny Toon Adventures which was tied to Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of like, you know, smaller, you know, smaller versions of knockoffs the of, of yeah, of the Bat, uh, the Bugs Bunny, yep, Daffy Elmer Fudd, the, yep. Yeah. So, and and working on that was a a storyboard artist named by the name of Bruce Tim and then a background artist by the name of Eric Radomski. So, they actually they worked here and there together, but they didn't directly interact all the time. Um, they both happened to be pulled into a meeting that uh, the animation president from WB, Gene McCurdy, had called to discuss various properties, not just Batman, but other things like, hey, we want to create more cartoons. These are the properties we're thinking about. What do you guys think? And at the mention of Batman, bells went off with Bruce Timms in his head. And he's like, oh, I've always been a Batman fan. This like, I, I want to do Batman. Yeah. And so he 
and left, good for us. Yeah, and left the meeting and just started, felt inspired and started jotting down a sketch of what his Batman would look like. Mm-hmm. And he tells a really good story. I, um, I'll reference it now that a lot of my, my information came from this oral history that thevulture.com did back in 2000, uh, 2017. Yeah, you were telling me about that at lunch the other day. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. Um, and he talks about he had grown up always sketching just different pictures of Batman and never really found the one that he liked until he just left this meeting and sketched it and was like, no, this is my Batman. This is it. And at the same time, unrelated to Bruce Timm's efforts, Eric Radomski also left that meeting inspired by the idea of Batman. Being a background artist, he's like, oh, I wonder what I wonder what the like a Gotham City background would look like. And yeah. so he created one. And as fate would have it and unplanned, they both created these like a character in a background that complement each other perfectly. It's like the Reese's peanut butter cup commercial. <laughs> <laughs> you drop, got your chocolate in my peanut butter. You, drop, you got my Batman in your background. <laughs> you dropped your Batman in my Gotham City. <laughs> so they they yeah, they kind of realized that they had both um had the symmetry in, in what they had created and took it to McCurdy and she looked at it and was like Okay, well, how about you guys create, give me an, a 90 second animation? I don't want any sound. I don't want you know, no dialogue. Just create a 90 second of what you, what visually this thing will look like. How it will move and what it will look like. Yeah. yeah. So they put something together and she looked at it and, like, okay, you guys are now directing a Batman <laughs> cartoon. Oh, awesome. <laughs> something neither of them have ever done. They're like, whoa, okay. okay all right. <laughs> yeah, they just hoping to work on it. Yeah. And suddenly it's their show. Yeah, cool. And yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. And they got together and realized, yeah, we want we want to do this, but we don't want to just tell a kid's story. We want to make this, we want to make this a Batman show that we want to watch. Like, yeah. Something that adults would care about. Sure. They pushed that to McCurdy and she's like, well, let's see what you can do. And she reached out to veteran cartoon writer Alan Burnett. So we've mentioned Alan Burnett uh-huh. previously. Oh, yeah. Uh, he worked on Challenge of the Super Friends. Actually, yes. worked at a long time Super Friends. Worked in the industry for a long time and was kind of burned out by standards and practices. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm so sick. <laughs> I was like, not being able to tell the stories do that what I, I want to do. Yeah. And so he was actually considering retirement or at least leaving leaving that field and going into something else because he was just so beaten down. And when McCurdy approached him, he had um, kind of said, well, I don't know. I've, I've done this done this dance before. And if we're going to do Batman, if I'm going to do a Batman cartoon, Batman, there has to be fist fights. There has to be guns. Yeah. And like that's never going to go through standards and practices. Sure. And McCurdy said, um, you know what? You can incorporate them. Let's make it work. We'll find a way to make it work. And yeah. he's like, all right, I'm in. Cool. I'm not retiring. I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, the other key creator in all of this, the fourth person that really helped shape this is Paul Dini. Another writer we've mentioned before. Yep. Uh, he worked on actually Gem, Star Wars droids. He worked on Transformers. Yeah. So he's a veteran of cartoon writing at that time as well. They brought him in and he sat down and created this voluminous show Bible. Basically, everything they talked about, okay, this is what Batman's going to be like. This is his character. These are the villains. Kind of the guidebook. Yeah. This is what they're going to do. This is kind of how it all flows together. Yeah. Just to make sure that from one episode to the next, they were telling a cohesive story. They didn't have to, one didn't have to lead into the next. You could watch them all independently for the most part. But you weren't getting like one version of Batman here and then the next one he's doing something completely different. Or he's like, well, he's suddenly he's more violent or nothing. It was all a consistent uh consistent story and they they would come up with that way to to get around the standards and practices that burnett was so worried about and the way they did it was kind of focusing on implied violence so not gratuitous no (laughs) implied violence. (laughs) implied violence so where even a pg-13 yeah imagine like you see somebody somebody run up to like two cartoon characters one runs up to the other one and you see him rear back and kick the other character in the groin and their character falls down like you see the violence happen yeah right in this one the implied violence you see a gun and you see a cutaway, and you hear a gunshot, and then you see that the cut changes to somebody falling down. Victim, yeah. So you're implying that that gun that you saw and tied to it. that noise, uh-huh. and then ties to the other person falling down. Oh wow! So they didn't show it. Sure, they just implied it. Oh, okay. 
and sounds like a political debate now. <laughs> but amazingly, it standards passed. and practices had never dealt with that. And yeah. like, okay, well, that works. Cool. And it, it was kind of a, a game changer in, in a way of being able to tell this a Batman cartoon, but just a daytime cartoon. Yeah, that was much more interesting, much more adult in its themes. Yeah, and not like inappropriate. Sure. But just something that appealed to a completely mass audience, not just be like, hey, your parents will like, well, at least they'll tolerate it while you sit there and like, you know. Right. So <laughs> all this the kids watch it. Yeah. So when I was watching them, I saw that as, oh, that's more like a comic strip approach to, mm-hmm. you know, in a comic strip, you can't see the bullet leave the gun. Right. You know, it's different cells. You know, it's mm-hmm. you see the bad guy with the gun and then you see, bam, mm-hmm. and then you see a victim falling or, or laying down. So that's the way I took it as. Oh, that's a comic strip approach yeah. to this scene. Yeah, it's like in Marvel Comics in the Infinity Gauntlet. Thanos, yeah. you all you see is a, a close up of his hand, and it's like it just a snap. Yeah, like it, you can, yeah, you know, it's drawn. It looks like clearly he has snapped his fingers, but there's no movement. It's just yeah, it says snap. So right. it's like that's how you see. That's how you know what happened. Yeah, in the, in the movie, obviously, you see it. It's very clear, right? Yeah. But it's implied that yeah, he snapped his fingers and yeah, interesting. Correct. Oh, that's yeah. super cool. Yeah, so. With that in place and the writers in place, they kind of finalized their art style. You know, they kind of honed in on really um, perfecting what uh, Bruce Tim and Radomski had come up with. And they decided they settled on a 1940s Art Deco feel. So, and you and you know, I it, love. It's got this this timeless component of it. It's clearly these guys in the trench coats. They look like 40s, you know, gangster guys yeah. running around. But it. Still has a modern feel to it, but and everything is they, they look almost like Dick Tracy. Yeah, and and they, and they relied on on um, basically very. I, I don't want to say it the wrong way. It's it's a simple animation, like it's it's not hyper detailed. Yeah, They're like what's the what's the the most amount of detail we absolutely have to have, and that's what we're going to work with. Mm-hmm. So you see a gun, and it doesn't. It's not necessarily a oh that's like a. 1945 Luger, and yeah. it's it's just it's a just gun, a gun, yeah. And it's like the basic inform the basic information that you need to process it, right? So you can be faster to crank it out, but it actually tells the story more efficiently. Yeah. So it was interesting, and the other thing that they did that is atypical for cartoons is when they created all the backgrounds, they drew them on black paper. No, yes, normally it's on white, but because of yeah. Gotham City is just shrouded Dark. in shadow. Yeah, they. Is very rarely done because it doesn't always work, but they found a way to make it work and really play up the nighttime and that darkness aspect of Batman. And that gave it some depth. When I was watching it, you could see the texture was different Mm -hmm. in the backgrounds. Because it was on paper, Mm -hmm. um, you could see the texture of the paper and the strokes of the, the pen or the pencil or whatever they were using to to create it because I picked up on that and I thought that was really cool mm-hmm. actually because you don't see that very often. Yeah, it's it's really just saturated in, in darkness. Right. And it but it lends itself so perfectly to the stories and the character of Batman who lives in the shadows. Right. And you know, this dark seedy underbelly of Gotham City. Sure. It's it, it just it was a perfect marriage. And, and the way Tim had, had described it, he said it was it kind of mentioned this in terms of their design style. He's like, it was just about making simple shapes. And he said, that was Eric's and my basic idea for the entire series to simplify everything. The characters and the vehicles and the props and the cars and everything just boiled down, everything down to its essential ingredient. So that was yeah. how they pulled it off. And I think they did a good job. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. So... Batman the Animated Series would debut on September 6, 1992 and run on weekday afternoons on Fox, not Saturday mornings. This was a yep. every after, every day after school Daytime. you can yep. find it on Fox. I, and I remember watching every single one of them. I was I was there for it. <laughs> um, it would run for 85 episodes from through September 15th, 1995. And in, included in there was a feature film called The Mask of the Phantasm, which yes. was not commercially successful but critically successful there were some issues with i mean part of the reason that it didn't work is because they didn't realize they're going to be doing a featured film until it was last second and they're like oh let's 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 make some money on this and they're like okay we didn't write this as a feature film so they had to kind of slapdash put it together to make it a feature film and then especially the art the animation was made for a small screen so it didn't work as well but story-wise yeah 
it's really good. It's a great story. It is, yeah. it is really well done. So post re- you know, theatrical release, it's actually been really well regarded as a great Batman story. Right. So, um, so that aired in 1993, but so the series technically ended in 1995, but it wasn't actually the end. So most of the original creators, um, by this point, by 1995 had shifted over to Superman, the animated series. Yeah. And that was running on, um, kids WB on Saturday mornings. Still, the character designs, everything was pulled directly from what Bruce Timmett kind of created for Batman. So all the characters look same. It's like so the, the same, same world. Same universe, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it um, it really, that's a fantastic cartoon, actually. Yeah, I haven't that, seen it. it is, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of tell they take some of the lessons they learned through Batman, they applied it into Superman, and it just made it even more fantastic. Yeah. But, I can go off on Superman for a while. I won't do that because we're not talking about. <laughs> I'm Superman. surprised I haven't seen that. Yeah. Actually, we need to add it to the list. And oh, 100 we'll percent. Watch it. Yeah, 100 percent. The Superman the animated series is running on in 1996 on Kids WB, and WB thinking it looks at it and like, well, why don't we have Batman on? Like, well, we just canceled that, but let's bring it back. We should put him on. We we'll put him on and make it a superhero hour, so a Superman Batman hour yep. of animation. And they got the original crew on board, but the difference was that the WB looked at him like, well, we need to freshen him up for if he's if he's going to be on Saturday mornings, the kids are going to be watching this like sure. they weren't watching on you know weekday afternoons. Of course they were, and yeah. like we need to make this more Saturday morning friendly. So they uh-huh. they had them change up the animation, you know, freshen up the animation. Sure. I guess is the way they described it. And a little bit of a remodel. Yeah, we will we'll definitely get into that discussion about yeah. that change. Later on, there's a lot to say about it, but they definitely made changes. Yeah. Um, so and it's obvious. Yes. <laughs> so they would actually change the name um, to the new Batman Adventures from the Batman the Animated Series. It featured a new, a younger. So they they had the original Robin, the um, Dick Grayson Robin, as a teen, like a late teens. Yeah. Would show up regularly in the original animated series. A younger Robin would show up in this fourth season Batgirl moved into a more prominent role and there's some significant redesigns to both Batman and then his rogues. I mean, some more over the top than others. Some, yeah, some were very drastic changes, yes. which I didn't like. No. Um, some kind of, you look at it and like, they really didn't need to do that, but yeah, but they did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so the new Batman adventure adventures would air, right after the Superman animated series on Kids WB, beginning on September 13th, 1997, and it ran for just a single season. Um, after that, it, it would move on because WB decided, well, Batman's all well and good, but kids really like younger, younger things. So let's yeah. go on to, let's do another Batman series, but let's make Batman really old, and we'll set it in the future, and then there'll be a younger Batman. And they created the series called Batman Beyond, which, Mm -hmm. again, critically very well received and and had a lot of fans. But had just WB being WB is always chasing something that isn't needed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So and it but it would, as as we said earlier, it would spawn a whole series of of cartoons. There's obviously Superman, Batman Beyond. There is Static Shock. There is Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. All within that same, well, Static Shock had its own look, but everything else was tied to that Tim, they call it, you know, some fans call it the Timiverse, because it's that Bruce Tim look, and they had a number of um, kind of short one-off movies and things that would come out too, so it was really the start of something significant for DC Comics. Now, did Teen Titans fit into that at all? No, Teen Titans came quite a bit later, and... It had a definitely different, more a goofier kind of yeah. silly, childish yeah version. It was yeah. kind of aimed at basically at the next generation of yeah. fans. So a little bit different. I mean, there there have been multiple iterations of Teen Titans, sure, all aimed at different groups and mm-hmm. with varying degrees of success. If yeah. you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was really a successful show, and I think. I'm going to let you talk about probably one of the things, not only the the, the story writing, the storytelling and the, and the art look, the art design. The third thing that really made it work was the voice acting. Yeah. These guys were incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were not screwing around when they put this cast together. Um, you know, right off the bat, Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne and Batman. 
Juilliard trained actor. Mm -hmm. He wasn't like somebody that pulled out of the hallway and said, hey, read this. You know, he was a legitimate actor. Did some TV. um, He did Hamlet at New York City's Shakespeare Festival. He had two shows on Broadway. And he was the first to do two unique voices, two separate voices for Batman and Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. You know, even in the TV show, Adam West's voice as Batman and as Bruce Wayne, it was the same voice. This was the first time that Bruce Wayne and Batman sounded different, Mm -hmm. which is super cool. And he has also played Batman more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. He's, He's been Batman longer than everybody including film actors. You know, he's just got a long history with this character, and it's hard to imagine Batman's voice. Every time I hear Batman's voice elsewhere, I compare him to yeah. Conway because yeah. he's so good. Yeah, as soon as, yeah, as soon as you hear Bat, you see some kind of Batman version anywhere, whether it's in uh, cartoons or video games or whatever it is, if it's, you, you know instantly whether it's Kevin Conroy or not, and if it's not, like, oh, well... Yeah. You know, and I think the closest person to him is um, the Lego Batman, Will Arnett. And when he's Lego Batman, he it sounds to me like he's Will Arnett trying to be Kevin Conroy doing Batman. And he does a pretty mm-hmm. decent job, I think. But all the rest of them sound phony to me compared to <laughs> compared to Conroy. So, uh, and Conroy always has said he's like he treated it as Batman is the he's the character, Bruce Wayne is the disguise. He's not Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he and took then, it in a different So approach. he's just like, look, Batman's the main thing. And then he's like, so when he talks as Bruce Wayne, that's his disguise. That's where, yeah. that's, that's where he's pretending. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting approach. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at Kevin Conroy, he reminds me of Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. He looks like Willem Dafoe, who winds up playing the Green Goblin in some of the Spider-Man movies. And like, it, it kind of confuses me when I look at him. I'm like, yeah, that's, I know who that is, but he looks like the Green Goblin guy from Spider-Man movies. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed his performance. He, he was outstanding. Yeah. What's interesting with Kevin Conroy is the voice of Batman is that they had auditioned 500 people for that role. Wow. They narrowed it down to four and none of them were quite right. And they were, they're being very picky as they should because like if they don't land the voice of Batman, yeah, it, none of it works. Right. It's just like Nothing it's, else it's just a cartoon then. Who cares? Yeah. So they wanted to have it perfect. So they they were kind of hemming and hawing between these four. And it, it just happened to come in that Kevin Conroy came in. Knowing really nothing about Batman other than there was a show in the 1960s with Adam West. Yeah. That was the extent of his Batman knowledge. That's all he knew, yeah. So the creators gave him a quick rundown. Like, okay, this is who Batman is. And he pulled from his knowledge of Hamlet, having done Hamlet many times. He's like, oh... I think I know who this guy is. Yeah. And so he he reads through it, channels his Hamlet experience, and they immediately know, oh, yeah, this is it. This cool. is the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was unique about the way he approached it, too, is that Kevin Conroy looked at it as, okay, the character is Batman. Right. His secret identity is actually Bruce Wayne. It's not the other way around. I'm not playing oh. I'm not playing Bruce Wayne who then plays Batman. He's like, this is Batman, and then when he changes his voice, it's his change he's disguising his voice to be Bruce Wayne, Interesting. not the other way around. That's really cool. It's kind of a different approach. Yeah. And, and I think it works really well for this cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, it does that's really cool. Yeah. It is it's about Batman. It's yeah. not about Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. But I've never looked at it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always looked at Batman as Bruce Wayne's alter ego. Yeah. But in this cartoon, clearly, it's about Batman. Mm -hmm. Lauren Lester played um, Dick Grayson at Robin. Uh, Lots of TV acting, including um, he was Roy on The Facts of Life. Hundreds of other TV shows, Bones, NCIS, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Also a stage actor and played barbecue on G.I. Joe cartoons. Oh, yeah. Which is cool. Clive Revel. Alfred Pennyworth. Um, he was also the voice of Palpatine in the original Empire that Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, Wars. before they had uh, yeah. Ian McDermott. Before they had yeah. him, he was the voice of Palpatine. He was um, Dandy Jim Buckley on TV's Maverick in the 50s. He was Dr. Octopus in the 1990s Spider-Man iteration. Also served in the U.S. Army and landed on Normandy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then he... Also did the voice of Justin Hammer in uh, the Iron Man cartoons in the mid-90s. He was opposing techno-billionaire. We've seen Bob Hastings before. He was um, many voices on Challenger of the Super Friends. He was Superboy on the New Adventures of Superboy um, in the late 60s. 
He was Elroy Carpenter in McHale's Navy um, and Archie Andrews in the radio production of Archie. Not the horrible cartoon that we watched earlier, uh, but in the radio production. Um, and if you see Bob Hastings' picture, you know who he is. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone's seen his face. Detective Harvey Bullock, a.k.a. Two-Faced Robert Costanzo. Um, classic New York thug voice. Um, has done a lot of surly types, crooks, dock workers. Often uh, serves as a voice double for Danny DeVito. Oh, interesting. So if Danny DeVito needs something dubbed over or whatever, Robert Costanza does that for him. <laughs> call um, my voice guy. He'll take care of it. Yeah, I made a mistake, <laughs> but call the voice guy. He did a great job as the classic New York detective. You know, kind of a tough guy. Doesn't really care what rules are involved. He's going to get his guy. Yeah. It's like the Sipowitz version of the Yes, the, exactly. The he's like the NYPD blue Sipowitz. Um, you know, he's going to bang some heads and he's just going to get what he needs to do. And he'll apologize later, you know. He makes more enemies than anything just by his, his just approach. Just his approach, yep. yep. Even the good guys don't like him that much. <laughs> Barbara Gordon and Batgirl was Melissa Gilbert. Hmm. Um, Melissa Gilbert, yes, that Melissa Gilbert, Laura Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie, a great actress. Um, you know, like we started this conversation, they had really good actors mm -hmm. involved in this. Um, and Melissa Gilbert, obviously, had plenty of acting experience. A couple of other surprises. I'll save the best one for last, but Frank Welker, of course, is mm -hmm. in this. He's uh, Isis the Cat. Um, he plays a thug. He's the voice of the sound effect of the werewolf. You know, <laughs> if there's an animal, like you pointed out, if there's an animal involved, it's, it's Frank Welker. Right. Kate Mulgrew as Red Claw doesn't play a, a big part in these these things, but I wanted to point it out because she was Captain Janeway on Star Trek Voyager, which at the time of this recording was 35 years ago when Star Trek The New Generation restarted the Star Trek universe and, and brought up to Star Trek Voyager where Kate Mulgrew starred as Captain Janeway. Kate Mulgrew is also the high school classmate of one David Sutter, who's my father. Nice. So my dad went to high school with Kate Mulgrew. So she was Red Claw and she was in Star Trek and now she's tied to this podcast with nice. us. Um, <laughs> More closely than anybody else. That yeah, I don't think so we far. have any other one that's really that close. And Ron Perlman I love Ron Perlman. Yeah. I mean, he's a great actor. He's got a, an iconic voice. He plays Clayface. He's also Hellboy. And yeah, his Hellboy is amazing. Not him. the David Harbour version, like the, the more recent one, but the original two Hellboy movies. The original two Hellboy movies. Not the more recent one. It was not, not Yeah, good. and it's hard for me to look at him without imagining him with stumped horns <laughs> on his head and a red face. You know, Ron Perlman to me is Hellboy. Mm -hmm. He also played on one of my other favorite shows, Sons of Anarchy, and his character was named Clay. So then when I saw him in this series as Clay Face, I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and the big surprise that I've been holding back is there was this young actor, uh, you know, he was big in the 70s and some sci-fi stuff, and they needed someone to play the Joker. So they went and got Mark Hamill. <laughs> and, you know, if you're a, a comic book Star Wars geek like we are, you know who Mark Hamill is, obviously. He was Luke Skywalker, and he will always be Luke Skywalker, and no one else can ever be Luke Skywalker. He's obviously done a ton of other things, but I think outside of, you know, the universe that you and I live in, people don't recognize Mark Hamill as a voice actor, and he's done a ton of voice acting because he's so, I don't want to say typecast, but he's Luke Skywalker mm -hmm. in the Star Wars movies, and that's the end of it for most people. But he is a phenomenal voice actor well, um, people everybody who loved corvette summer of course they know mark hamill from, from <laughs> yeah okay go go with that um yeah he was in squadron 42 of the video games he was on the kids in the hall for a while uh he's in the book of boba fett the tv series as luke skywalker mm -hmm. masters of the universe he played skeletor um in some of the he-man stuff he was also in um the mandalorian he was in Wizards, Royalties, What We Do in the Shadows. He played a vampire. He was in Scooby-Doo and Guess Who as the trickster and the Joker. Mm -hmm. um, he did some Looney Tunes stuff, uh, Robot Chicken. He's in a lot of stuff on Robot Chicken, sometimes as Luke Skywalker. He was in the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, the TV series. So really a, just a huge catalog of, of voice acting. Um, and you can hear him doing commercials, too. I mean, it's just a, a great voice actor and and i want to say he's done more voice acting than live i think acting. at this point yeah and he's yeah. just so prolific and he's so good at it right every time the joker spoke i was just 
rapture and I'm like oh my god this is awesome and and the story of how mark hamill joined the cast is actually pretty fascinating because he was actually brought in to be a corporate just a corporate bad guy he's a voice like the in the heart of ice the the uh mr freeze origin story he's the bad the main villain in that right and he he wanted to be in part of the rogues gallery so he's like this is like this is batman i want to be in batman i like i want to be like one of like the the main guys and so he had they had already cast tim curry as the joker at this point and but something particularly with alan burnett um something wasn't clicking and they, they were just weren't it didn't feel like tim curry was quite right i mean he's tim curry he's amazing yeah but something wasn't clicking but as a clown i see him as it yeah <laughs> that's a little bit different a little than, different than yeah. what they were going with joker i mean it's <laughs> both insane but a little bit different yeah um but this is and at this point tim curry had already recorded a couple of episodes and at that point they realized we're gonna have to replace him mm-hmm. he's not something's not working and and that's when at the same time that Mark Hamill had requested like a more re- a recurring role with the series, and it's like, oh, well, why don't you read the Joker? And his Hamill's first reaction is like, well, I want to do something, but not that high profile. That's a bit much for too me. much. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and how many people would just like balk at the the idea of Luke Skywalker serving as the voice of the Joker? Yeah, and so he was he's like, oh, that's a PR disaster waiting to happen. They 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 talked him into into doing the audition and he knocks it out of the park yeah and the the biggest thing was his laugh and the way paul dini described it he's like i remember listening to his audition and when he did the laugh i said that's it that's just it the laugh was cruel it was funny there was an undercurrent of terrible sadness to it it was a laugh from a destroyed soul oh wow (laughs) that's deep (laughs) yes it was but (laughs) but i mean again you talk about the antithesis of batman again this i mean he just he's you've got to have that voice right if you don't have the batman voice right and you don't have the joker voice right yeah it's not quite the same thing so and now their guy yeah and right now when you see the joker come up on anything again in video games and anything if it's not mark hamill you notice immediately and like yeah. oh well that's Who's this heck yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i did have one more voice i wanted to throw out there too yeah uh harley quinn who's the character who's created oh, for yeah. this show yeah her voice was done by arlene sorkin who yep. is most known for i think it was the character named calliope from days of our lives a soap mm-hmm. opera yeah and she happened to be a college friend of paul dini Really? So Paul Dini created that character and he kind of had her in mind because he had seen her, her uh, kind of her clips from, from Days of Our Lives. And he's like, that's the voice I want. Awesome. And it just kind yeah. of, you know, certain worked out. Yeah. You know, in the new The Birds of Prey movie mm-hmm. and the Harley Quinn, the Harley yeah. Quinn voice, the, the actress who plays Harley Quinn sounds like she's trying to be this person mm-hmm. you know this harley quinn yeah which was really cool that this cartoon character created in this series is now the gold standard mm-hmm. or it continues to be the gold standard for that character yeah every actress that has done that voice in the yeah, other medium whether it's video games or other cartoons they all take that arlene sorkin voice and they just kind of that's their base yeah and, and a work from that yeah. so it's yeah it's it's she definitely left an impact mm-hmm. and we'll yeah. talk a little bit more about harley quinn the character in general because yeah. she was very impactful beyond obviously this cart this the show yeah amazing voice actors and the last component that finally clicks in is the music yes so when they created that initial animation to try and sell the idea the bruce tim and and uh, eric radomsky they Created the animation, and then they put they pulled music right from Danny Elfman's score from the '89 Batman film. Yes, and knowing they couldn't use it because you know they were never going to be allowed to move that over to yeah. the cartoon, but it'd become iconic. Mm-hmm. You know, through that huge summer blockbuster film. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people started that's Batman music. Yeah, and it, it became synonymous with Batman. So like they put it in there, knowing like this is what we want. So what else? How close can we get to this? And they ended up finding. Uh, Somebody who had worked with Danny Elfman and could create those eerie tones and that kind of a composer by the name of Shirley Walker. Uh, she was actually working on the Flash television show that was airing at that time. It was a one season, yeah, one season primetime show. And so she was able to kind of 
retain com- continuity with that mu- with the movie because she knew Danny Elfman and she knew how to she knew the music and she could modify it enough that it's similar but it's very distinct and unique. Yeah, and she actually composed music for every episode. Oh wow, very uncommon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like you think back to watching Scooby Doo, it's the same that same track every right. single time. Yeah, this was every episode, and so and they all because episodes the themes varied, and from one episode, some are a little sure. lighter, some are a little, and she modified modified it, it based fit on those 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 moods and those yeah. tones. And I mean, talk about a way to elevate that series yeah. beyond just you know well, right. the other things. It just made it that much more. Yeah of a, a, com- a complete story. Yeah. Well, when you think about like the really good movies, uh, Oscar worthy movies, the, the music is a character mm-hmm. in that movie. And that's the same for this cartoon is the music is a character mm-hmm. and it sets the mood and it really paints a picture in your mind of the emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not getting it from the characters, the music is emphasizing yeah. what you should be feeling. And, that you know, that was one thing that I, I had jotted down is the, the music is awesome yeah. in this cartoon. And I with, loved it. And with as varied as Batman's rogues gallery is, they each kind of have their own kind of style of music. And the one that always stands out to me is the Joker, because the Joker always has like, they'll do this introduction. It's always kind of like this kind of lighthearted because yeah, he's the Joker. He's a clown. Yeah. But there's also like a, a sinister undertone to it. it. It shifts very quickly, like the character. Yeah. The character goes from like laughing to all of a sudden being extremely like, menacing and dangerous. Right. And the music matches it. It's so yeah. impressive how she was able to do that. Yeah. And in fact, she was nominated um, for several awards um, in the music in, in this. The Annie Awards um, in 1995, um, she was nominated for Best Individual Achievement for Music in the Field of Animation uh, and Best Animated Television Program. Um, also got um, recognition in um, Daytime Emmys um, in Outstanding Sound Mixing, Outstanding Sound Direction and Composition um, with Harvey Cohen and 20th Century Fox, uh, as well as um, being a part of the Emmys that the show did win. Um, the show won a daytime Emmy in 1996 for Outstanding Sound Editing. Um, they won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing in an Animated Program in 1993's Daytime Emmy Awards, um, and then nominated for Outstanding Music Direction again, um, in 1993. So, I mean, this show won legitimate television mm-hmm. awards and music was a big part of all of their wins. Yeah. So yeah, she did an awesome job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of episodes and, and writing, I thought these were very well written throughout. Mm-hmm. There were some that I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a Batman story and there's a bad guy and you got to stop the bad guy and Batman wins and the end, you know, there's a formula to that. There were other episodes where, whoa, this is different. And this is meant for a more mature Mm -hmm. audience, not to say mature is bad, but emotionally this episode, kids aren't going to understand what's really going on. This is heavy. Yeah. There's some heavy stuff. And one of those examples for me was um, Season 1, Episode 3, Heart of Ice. So they created a new origin for Mr. Freeze. Mm -hmm. And there was a resurrection of Mr. Freeze because he was killed off in the comics. But they brought him on this show, and they resurrected him in the comics because like people like, whoa, okay, Mr. Freeze is cool again. (laughs) No pun intended. But they focused on the tragic backstory of Mr. Freeze and why he's so enraged and vengeful because he was creating a scientific discovery to save his wife's life. His wife had an incurable disease and he was going to cryogenically freeze her until a cure could be found. Well, his boss, the guy who owned the lab, Ferris Boyle, who was voiced by Mark Hamill um, from Goth Corp, said, you know, we don't have any money. We're shutting this down. He's like, well, you can't shut it down now. I'm in the middle of this, yeah. and my wife's going to yeah, die. Yeah, you're going to kill my wife. You're going to kill the, my the cryo- wife. cryogenic frozen apparatus is going to just turn off, and she's going to she, die. You're going to murder my wife yeah. if you do this. Well, he goes ahead and does it, and there's a big accident in the lab, and Mr. Freeze becomes a person who can't live above a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, it's really that episode, and I know you've got some things to say about it too, but his wife's name was Nora Freeze, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of funny, actually, <laughs> that their name was Freeze to begin with. But you could tell Batman was really empathetic to Mr. Freeze's plight. You know, he wasn't happy that Mr. Freeze took the wrong path and became vengeful, um, but he understood where he was coming from. And you need an adult mind to follow that episode and figure out what really is going on mm-hmm. there because it's a real like an epic like mm-hmm. these two parts could have been a full movie right you know and because the arnold schwarzenegger mr freeze <laughs> is lame yeah. you know compared to this this guy was great yeah one thing i did think was funny in that episode though so they had mark hamill in this episode as um, ferris boyle and mr freeze at one time it captured batman and froze Batman to the ceiling by his feet, which reminded me of Luke Skywalker hanging in the <laughs> Wampus Cave by his feet, frozen to the ceiling. I'm like, I wonder if they did that on purpose, just to give a little nod to the Empire Strikes Back. But it was super cool. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was funny. But, you know, Mr. Freeze was a real tragic mm-hmm. character. And I had a new appreciation for that villain and Batman's relationship with that particular villain because of this episode. I, I just thought it was awesome. Well, and to follow up on that, this episode made uh, Mr. Freeze my favorite Batman villain. Oh, yeah. You teased that. Yes. This, this is it. This, yeah. this episode, Heart of Ice, was, it was a game changer to me, because especially yeah. at, at that age and watching the show and thinking... This is, I mean, it is heavy. Mm-hmm. It is this heavy. is some serious writing. <laughs> and they make him so, you, you, as a, as a viewer, you empathize. You see everything that Victor Freeze is going through. Yeah. And you're like, wow, you know, this guy is terrible. Why are they, why would he, you know, this guy's just trying to save his wife. And, right. And they, they make Ferris Boyle so, like, so heartless about it. Yeah. That you get to the end of that episode and, Mr. Freeze is his captured Ferris Boy. He's frozen him to the floor. He's yeah. he's basically got him dead to rights. Yep. And Batman shows up. Ferris Boy's like, oh, thank you for saving me. He's like, yeah, screw you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, the only because he was going to kill you. Otherwise, it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only doing this because it's my job. <laughs> yeah, right? this is not for you at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to save him from committing yeah. a crime. And, and yeah. so be making him, make, I mean, t- giving him that, that really fleshing out the, the empathy and and I think the empathy is, is a very underrated component of this entire series. They really, Batman yeah. as an empathetic and Bruce Wayne as an empathetic figure. Right. For, I mean, he, he doesn't just automatically hate all the villains. He's just like, oh, look, I got my own tragic backstory. I get it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I went a different way. I chose a different way. To... <laughs> and, and you guys are wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I loved and everything about the Mr. Freeze, the... Yeah, the origin, the that tragedy, and like him trying to cope, yeah, with like the loss of his wife. He like, always seemed so calm because yeah. he had a real focused purpose. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just out creating mayhem like the Joker does, yeah, and, for fun. And I even love the the voice, this metallic component of his voice because he's, he's in he's in the he's in the suit, suit this fro- this basic ice suit that he needs in order to maintain his body temperature low enough to to survive. Yeah, and it's just so. Everything about it is just so, so well done. Well, and the ending is cool because Mr. Freeze is in Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. right? They got him locked up and there's a little snow flowing around in his Yeah, because they've got it set cell. up so like he's, so his he, body temperature is Yeah, low. he doesn't have to be in his suit. Right. But then they pan back and Batman is out on the gate looking at him like, mm-hmm. oh, like he's watching over him now. He's yeah. like, he has to be in here now, but I think he can be saved mm-hmm. type of attitude is what I got from yeah. that. Because when he puts the Joker in prison, he's like, good riddance, you know. I'm not looking back. Yeah, I know you'll be back, but yeah, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you felt the same way because yeah. that, that episode really blew me away. Mm-hmm. The other one where you see a lot of uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne's um, empathy is in episodes 17 and 18 of season one with uh, the Harvey Dent Two-Face origin story. You know, Harvey Dent's the district attorney and mm-hmm. he and Bruce Wayne are really good friends, mm-hmm. close friends. And he starts to notice Harvey's temper is getting out of control. And he confronts him about it. You know, you should go see a psychologist. Lots of people see psychologists. And he's like, I'm already seeing a psychologist, you know. And he's got this split personality that he's starting to lose control of. And Big Harv. Big Harv, yeah. Mm -hmm. Big Harv is a mean dude. (laughs) And he's strong. And he's throwing people around the room. And then the gangster that he's been chasing, Rupert Thorne, 
recognizes it. Okay, there's there's a wedge that I can drive and and drive Harvey Dent to the dark side. And he does it. He pushes him there. Mm-hmm. But in the melee, Harvey Dent gets burned by some acid and then becomes Two-Face. Mm-hmm. You know, half of his face is disformed. Right. And Bruce Wayne is still trying to figure out, you know, what is wrong with Harvey? He needs help. What's going on? You know, because half of his good friend is still there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, he's still half Harvey Dent. And what's interesting about this episode is that Harvey blames the gangster Thorn for doing this to him, but also blames Batman for not helping him mm-hmm. enough. Right. And Batman is hardly in this episode. Bruce Wayne is in it a mm-hmm. lot, but Batman's hardly in it. And it makes it feel like a psychological thriller. This, yeah. I mean, if you had taken the Batman thing out of this and created a movie based on this guy's got a friend who's having personality issues and he goes to the wrong side and what's his friend going to do? I'd buy it. Yeah. As a as a psychological thriller live action movie, forget the comic book thing. Yeah, this, this isn't is, necessarily a comic book or a superhero story. It's yeah, just a It's yeah. a it's a friend story. It's yeah. a story about their friendship which I I didn't expect. Yeah. You know, that was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did something similar to that with uh, The Feet of Clay, the two-part where they introduced Clayface. Yeah. Again, another one where the actor who's kind of struggling and he gets mixed up with the Daggett company and they have this Daggett makeup where he kept putting it on and he can kind of alter, alter his look enough to kind of keep going. Fit whichever character he wanted to be. And the problem is that that makeup was not approved. It was actually still testing and Daggett was still pu- it was pushing it out. The the Clayface character ultimately becomes Clayface. So like basically this this makeup just absorbs into his skin and he just becomes this living pile of clay. Right. And uh, they they give you this backstory and again Batman's just like Look, man, I, 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 get wrong it. <laughs> I get it, but and he just he just can't turn it around. Yeah, and uh, and even the way that he he actually captures him is he shows Clayface all these mon- video monitors, banks of monitors of what he used to look like as an actor, and because he's like he can't focus on any one of them, so he's like he can't maintain a shape because he's yeah. like. You know, like, I, what one should I be? What one should I look like? And he just kind of, like, Milton and ends up thing. getting, you know, electrocuted. Yeah. But we found out he didn't really get electrocuted. Sure, of course. Electricity doesn't really bother him, but yeah. he's able to escape that way. So. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, with all of these, it's just, like, each villain kind of gets their own highlighted backstory. They're all very unique. Mm-hmm. And as a viewer, they really took the time to help you understand whether or not you know you know that they're the choices they're making are bad but they're they're setting it up like this is it, this is why they did it. yeah i know where they're coming from yeah so you yeah. understand it you don't you know you don't agree with it yeah but you understand why right what what choices they make that and, and what happened to them to lead them down that path yeah yeah i thought that was really cool mm-hmm. um one episode that I really enjoyed was Beware the Grey Ghost mm. because the Grey Ghost is voiced by Adam West. <laughs> I'm like, how did they, they call up Adam West? Do you want to be involved in this Batman cartoon? He probably said, yeah, I'll be right there. You know, <laughs> but then he gets there and like, well, we don't want you to be Batman. We want you to be this previous, um, you know, one of Batman's heroes as a child. Um, but it worked really well. Yeah. I thought it was cool. So we want you to be a cartoon version of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, He's this old, I don't want to say washed up, but he's this old actor who can't get a job because he played this superhero Mm -hmm. on TV and everyone thinks he's that superhero. Mm -hmm. Well, they they run the course with that superhero and now he can't get any other work because everyone sees him as the great ghost. Well, there's a copycat um, criminal out there being the Mad Bomber who was the foil in the great ghost TV show, which happened to be Bruce Wayne's, one of his favorite shows as a kid. So he recognizes the the plot that's going on here. Wait a minute. I saw this in Beware the Grey Ghost. So he's running around looking for copies of the Grey Ghost. Of course, there aren't any to be viewed. Um, And then he finds the guy who played the Grey Ghost, and he happened to have a whole collection of it, and they watched (laughs) it and figured it out. Um, But I I just thought it was a really cool way to incorporate um, Adam West Mm -hmm. into this. Uh, You know, as he comes out as the good guy, and then at the end of the episode... Um, the Grey Ghost is signing autographs, and Bruce Wayne comes and asks for an autograph, and then 
um, says you were my favorite as a kid and, you know, kind of let him in on the fact that, hey, I'm Batman and you know I'm Batman because I'm telling you this. <laughs> and the Grey Ghost kept his secret, you know, just kind of right. winked at him and said, you know, I'm a big fan of yours too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was just a really a touching yeah. episode. I thought it was really neat. Right. The the only other uh, episode from season one I, I wanted to touch on, and that's the Joker's favor. And the significance of that isn't so much the story. It is the debut of Harley Quinn. Yeah. The sidekick slash love interest slash all kinds of girlfriend things of, yeah. of the joker uh so she was created specifically for this this series so paul, yeah. paul dini came up with the idea she had not appeared anywhere in the batman universe before this correct she right. was not an existing character but her introduction was so popular that she became a recurring, not only in the comic, but like, a, like she has her own, I mean, they have, they have Harley Quinn comic books, mm-hmm. like a series and, and different, different like one shots, all kinds of stuff where they bring her in. They obviously translated her into the big screen before a lot of DC characters. Yeah. I mean, she's in both, both Suicide Squad movies um, for worse and for better yeah. as you watch them. And then, of course, the the Birds of Prey, the, her um, her own Yeah, her the own emancipation yeah, of, of, yeah. of Harley Quinn. And there'll be more of her. Yeah. I mean, she is she's a huge, huge character now within DC. Yeah. And Margot Robbie does a great job yes. playing her and doing that voice, mm-hmm. you know. And, but she's also, I mean, any any video game that you see that's tied to either Batman or just DC Comics in general, Harley Quinn will be in it. Right. There are costumes yeah. from uh, both the movies, from they did uh, some girls TV series uh, a few years ago called the DC Superhero Girls. Yeah. Harley Quinn. Like mm-hmm. you have all these heroes and there's Holly Quinn with them. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's just popular enough that everybody, you know, just loved the character. Right. So, uh, yeah. And this is, this is where she came in and she of course would grow throughout the series. Yeah. Cause she started as just like the court jester. Yep. Who, you know, the Joker kind of pushed around and then she mm-hmm. kind of got tired of that. And she's like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm enough of that. I'm on my own. <laughs> yeah, and and as with it, when this one, they just kind of introduce her, but eventually later in the series, in season three, I believe, is Harley Quinnade, or season four, um, they actually will dig. They do dig back into her backstory, and you kind of you learn more about her, who she is, and yeah. how she came across the Joker, and why she's still with him for <laughs> yeah for whatever reason, right? Because so, she's crazy. Yeah, I mean and he's crazy, and and I'd be remiss without mentioning there for um, HBO Max is actually has a existing Harley Quinn series, animated series. It's she's the featured character, cool, in, and it's extremely popular. It's yeah, it's adult. Sure, <laughs> it's, it yeah. is R rated, yeah. but it is um, very much a again just speaks to the popularity of this. Yeah. Character. Well, how often does a villain mm-hmm. carry a whole right. series? You right. know, very rarely does mm. a series feature the villain as the mm. main character. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So it's it's super cool. Um, she was funny in one of my other favorite episodes, and, and I think you like this one too. Episode thirty five, almost got him, mm-hmm. where. So five villains walk into a bar (laughs) and they start reminiscing about the times they almost killed Batman. So you've got a poker game going on with Joker, Penguin, Poison Ivy, Two-Face and Killer Croc. And they all take turns going up through how they the time they almost got Batman. You know, Poison Ivy talks about the time she lured Batman into a poison gas pumpkin patch and that backfired on him because of the remote control Batmobile came in and saved him. And um, Two-Face, um, he set up like a Bond villain type extraordinary way to murder Batman. And of course he gets out of it, you know. Um, the Penguin had the aviary of doom. So he lured Batman into this <laughs> aviary and covered him in some kind of food that these poisonous hummingbirds liked mm. and you know he avoids the hummingbirds i've always wondered how to use my aviary of doom maybe that's how i should do it <laughs> i want to see your <laughs> aviary of doom um i missed that exhibit at the wet at the zoo um and then he gets a that's cat- every every aviary every aviary is the <laughs> yes. aviary of doom yeah especially if those those red-winged blackbirds yeah. are um so the, the hummingbirds thing doesn't work out because Batman makes it rain and they can't fly when their wings are wet or whatever. So then he's got a cassowary comes after Batman. And a cassowary is uh, like a stout, meaner version of like a emu. 
or an ostrich. It's an ostrich emu. It's like a living dinosaur. They're very dangerous birds on their own. Not 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 to mention if the penguin's got an evil cassowary, you know. Uh, but then <laughs> Bat- Batman picks up one of the hummingbirds and, and poisons the cassowary or tranquilizes the cassowary. <laughs> um, and he gets away. Um, and then when his killer crocs turn, he says, I lured Batman into this quarry and I threw a rock at him. <laughs> <laughs> that was all he had. I threw a rock at him. It was a big rock. Yeah, it was a big. They laughed at him. It was like, well, it was a big rock. <laughs> um, and then the Joker is like, I can top all of that. So the Joker had captured Batman, and then he made a whole talk show about it. And it's like, it's like a talk show set. Like when Kramer finds the Merv Griffin set, you know, in Seinfeld. And he's got um, Harley Quinn as his cameraman and kind of the sidekick person in this and it is just hilarious i think it was so funny the way that the joker wanted to make this whole thing about him you know it wasn't about he's killing the batman it's like this is my show and yeah i got the batman over here and if when you guys laugh he's gonna get electric shocks so i'm here to make you laugh to shock batman i just thought that was an awesome episode it, I was, was, it was i was laughing out loud at yeah that. it was just great. that was so well done actually so much they turned it they turned it into a card game there's actually a, oh, a card yeah. game out there called Almost Got Him. Oh, right my now. God. We got to find that. Yeah, yeah, that's that'd be super fun to play. Um, one more that I really want to talk about that I feel like is the encapsulation of what this series is about. is In season three, there's an episode called Baby Doll. Yes. And the Baby Doll character is ridiculous. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so ba- that Baby Doll is this woman who was kind of in a sitcom as a, as a child, it was like the, the featured child had like her taglines, like I didn't mean to do it. And, yeah, you know, and, and her that. little skirt. And, yes. And yeah. As she grew up, she never actually grew. She yeah. had whatever this disease where she never actually grew into an adult. Perpetually she, she, a perpetually child. It's yeah. so like mentally she grew up and she wanted to continue acting and she tried stage acting and nobody ever took her seriously because she looked like this little kid. And right. So she became very bitter and kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, she captures her whole family, like her family, her TV family, all those actors yeah. and ties them up and wants to basically like recreate this, like live, live in this reality because that's when she was happy. That's right. Yeah. And of course, she's crazy, and <laughs> Batman comes to free him, to free the, these captured actors, and and she escapes, and like he's basically chasing her around, and she's like, it's just this little kid, and she carries a teddy bear with her, and like he'll get close, and she like smacks him with a teddy bear, and of course, you know, with the sound effects, it sounds like he's being hit by a pile of bricks, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, just like that, <laughs> very exaggerated, and like he goes flying away, and like yeah. it's just a Teddy bear. bear is not her superpower. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like this ridiculous villain, but ultimately the last, I want to say, four minutes of this this episode really hammer home what I love about this series so much. Basically, Batman corners her. She, she kind of chases him into, she, he chases her into this hall of mirrors and she ends up, you know, like all the different, that's the silly mirrors and all, you yeah. know, like looking different. And she ends up staring at this one and she looks like an adult an adult like yeah. what her adult stuff is like that's what i that's what i want that's me yeah that's that's really who i am yeah. and she just kind of has this this realization is and, and batman stopped chasing her he's just kind of talking to her letting like, her Look, work it out yeah yeah it, it's they've kind of this resolution she's like I, and she and of course she ends with the whole thing and she just like her head hangs out and she's like i didn't mean to do it yeah like it's <laughs> Which just like her catchphrase, her catchphrase but yeah. it's just this ridiculous character and this ridiculous premise, but again, that empathy that runs through that that, that Batman character, uh-huh. he just he's not like trying to hurt her. He's not trying to like harm her. He's trying to ultimately with what he's doing with all these villains is he's trying to help them. Yeah, he's trying to help he's trying them. to prevent them from making bad choices. Yeah, <laughs> and you know he he basically just gets her to this point where she she just you know, has this self, moment of self realization that she's gone too far and yeah. she just kind of she kind of gives up right and it's just i mean i, I love that again this being an adult has nothing to yeah. do with my size <laughs> exactly yeah. and this this just again the idea that this ridiculous story but it there's so much heart in it that it just it there's no it has no business working but it works so well because sure. they, they they tie it up so well at the it's end. written so well yeah yeah it's just the strength of and that's that's knowing your characters right and trusting in like look 
we know who Batman is. Yeah. And we're going to tell a good Batman story. You, it doesn't matter who you, I mean, they don't all work. No. You have, you know, like the Sewer King. Or yeah. I, think, I mean, I've never been a fan of the Ventriloquist. No, the Ventriloquist creeped me out. Yeah. I just didn't get it. The Clock King, that was kind of was lame. Yeah. Maxi Zeus has never been good in the comics or the cartoon. Maxi sure. Zeus is just stupid. Well, there's continuity in that. Yeah. But <laughs> even even those, even, even as weak as the, the villains are, the stories are still entertaining and still right. well done and still mm-hmm. good. So... Good, bad, and the ugly on this one. Uh, the good, I, th- I think I kind of just hit it, but I think this to me is Batman in what his true form really is. He is, he's tough and he's scary, but ultimately he's just a man who's trying to do, do good to ensure that the pain that he felt as a child is not felt by other people. Right. So he doesn't kill. No. This is not a, a Batman doesn't kill. Batman is trying to save other people because. You know, ultimately, any bad guy, if they have a kid, he kills that. Kills that. It's an orphan. Yeah, you know, he he does the same thing to those kids that that happened to him, and he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't yeah. want anybody. To feel well, the classic again. part of Batman is that he took Robin in because mm-hmm. Robin was an orphan mm-hmm. because he was a victim of a villain exactly. killing his parents. Yeah, he doesn't want that to happen to anyone else. Yeah, you've got this ideal to me, my ideal version of Batman, and it's done with this amazing animation, music, the vocal talent. The writing, everything about it is just, it just comes together. It's, right. It just works so well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I really enjoyed this series more than I had thought because I've always been a Superman, Wonder Woman mm-hmm. fan and Batman was there, but I I really got re-involved in Batman watching this. And for me, the best part of this was the writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the writing and the stories was really, really good and the character development was awesome. And even through the series, you see Batman's character arc continuing. You know, Mm -hmm. it isn't like, here's Batman and that's it. You know, Batman changes throughout the series. I just, I loved it. I thought that was a really cool way to present the Batman story. Yeah. Well, how about about your bad? Um, Yeah, I didn't see a lot of bad. I mean, there were a couple of episodes that were kind of stinkers, Mm -hmm. you know, but you're producing 86 episodes. They're not all going to be A+, you (laughs) know. So I had a hard time pinpointing anything that I disliked. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, overall, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a true bad, but... I'm going to count it more of a negative, and that's the season four, the animation style changes that they made to when they moved it to Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, and TMS became the animator. Yeah. And what they did is they just, they went with more cartoony look for a lot of them. Like suddenly Poison Ivy's green, her yeah. skin is green. And uh, the Joker went from looking like the Joker to like he had beady eyes and a long pointed nose. Yeah. And it just looked different. Looked like a characterization. And everybody's like suddenly more angular and like pointy. And, and it just didn't really... I mean, it was a, it was a significant like Bane looked like he, I mean he was like wearing like a studded like spiked collar yeah. and like a I mean he just looked weird right I, I just didn't I didn't like the animation change overall yeah. um, I I did like that they added a couple yeah you know they added the demon and the creeper for some guest cameos sure. and any excuse to say Clary and the Witch Boy which they bring him <laughs> in is, is such a silly name but. Um, so I mean, some of the sto- the stories were a little more hit or miss, but and and they did have a cool a uh, couple cool references. Yeah. When they talk about uh, the the episode, the Legends of the Dark Knight, where they they looked at classic comic book styles. Yeah. And they referenced both of them in there. It was, that was really cool. But but overall, season four just it felt like a departure, which it kind of was. Yeah. But it it, it f- just felt right. like its own thing, and it didn't really work as well. I couldn't get over in season four Nightwing's mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's true to the character, but it's like it's true it, to the comic. It <laughs> looks really bad, you know, when it's like he's on the jet ski and it's flowing behind him. I'm like, oh, well, I, think that, I think that's the case where you're having that more simplified style, like animation style that yeah, it, it worked. It was it didn't work as well with a mullet, <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't need a lot of detail for a mullet, but a little bit more may have helped. So yeah, it, it just didn't work for me. Yeah. But yeah, I think maybe that's the ugly. That's my ugly. The mullet, <laughs> the the mullet. mullet was ugly. <laughs> I'll go with that. I don't. I actually did not have an ugly. I, I couldn't find anything. I didn't either. Because other than yeah. the mullet, yeah, yeah. So did you? What was your final ranking? 
Oh, uh, you know, I've only given one other 10. Mm -hmm. So this will be my second one. You know, I give a 10 to Scooby, where are you? Mm -hmm. Scooby-Doo, where are you? And and this yeah. is a 10. I just, this was super cool. And if you're interested in Batman at all, you've got to watch mm -hmm. these because they're great. Yeah, no, this is a, this was an easy 10. Uh, I kind of knew that going in. I actually, and I, I, when I was watching season four, I'm like, does this ding it a little? Does it bring it up, bring it down? Because then knowing the other animated, DC animated series that follow, yeah, I mean, it's setting the stage for it. Yeah. But like, no, this is a 10 because it, it, what it does is like, it does set the stage for those other ones, but it also kind of set that idea for animation where not everything has to be kitty right. to be a kid's cartoon. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot in current animation, a lot more animation. It's more mature in, in like it, it respects the, the kids audience a little bit more. The kids in the audience, like some of you are going to get this stuff. Some of you won't, but you'll still enjoy it. Sure. But you know, like some of you are mature enough to like, it's and it's I don't know, mature, meaning it's like rated R material. Yeah. It's just heavier, heavier themes yep. and better writing. Yeah. And just letting letting the story, just telling good stories and not just trying to talk down to an audience. Yeah, I, I saw it as the difference between a cartoon, which is an animated version of a comic strip or, mm -hmm. you know, something designed to entertain children, and animation, mm -hmm. which is a way to tell a story visually as opposed to a, like a live action film. Well, this is an animated Version. So it's right. cartoon and animation, and I see a distinct difference between the two. Mm -hmm. So that's where I put this as you know, this is an animated story for more advanced minds, not to say more intelligent, but more adult, mm -hmm. more mature mm -hmm. viewers. Yeah, yeah. Just trusting that your audience is going to be able to follow along and exactly and then get the story that you're telling. Yeah. Cool. Well, this one, this was really fun, mm -hmm. and and I was glad to watch this and bring Batman back into my world because yeah. it was super cool. Yeah, any excuse to watch this series, is I'm, I'm, I'll take it. Yeah. So uh, what do you want to do next? Well, looking at the, some of the previews that came out of San Diego Comic-Con and looking at the 40th anniversary of Dungeons & Dragons, I think we should tackle yeah. that one next. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That's a good one. Yeah, find out if you'd rather be an archer or a barbarian. Well, it's a coin toss right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out after we've watched them again. <laughs> Well, I hear mom. I think it's time for us to go outside. So that means cartoon time is over. I'm John. I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want more Toon Talk, you can find us on Twitter at Toon Talk Guys. Or if you've got questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at toontalkguys at gmail.com.